Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us this weekend at Friends Online. So glad you were with us. We're wrapping up a series today called I Have Decided. And so many decisions have been made for us in this season. We wanted to help you make some spiritual decisions as you move into this fall season with us. For the last few weeks, we have decided to follow Jesus. We've decided to be peacemakers in the midst of some serious chaos around us. We've decided to choose hope over fear and despair. And we've decided to be thankful. And then we've decided to be generous with the grace and love God has so generously given to you and he's given to me. And this is really part two of our generosity conversation. Last week, uh, I had the, the chance to focus on grace. And this week, I want to try and switch gears just a little bit and, and turn our attention to love. In 1967, the Beatles released a song entitled, All You Need Is Love. And that's really all it actually said. It said, all you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love, love. Let me switch it up on you. Love is all you need. And the Beatles agreed with the Apostle Paul because he wrote these words to the church in Corinth. This is out of the Message Bible, and I love how it translated. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So, no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. You see, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love, it actually puts up with anything. It trusts God always and always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. And with that definition of love, then I would agree with the Beatles that love is all we need. And those are great words to read and believe, but let's just be honest, it's so very hard to live out, even for the best of us. And as we wrap up our series, I have decided, I want to finish up with where I left off last week. And if you didn't see last week's sermon, I encourage you to go back and watch it, but I will quickly just catch you up. See, I've made a decision. I have decided to be generous with the grace and love God has so generously given to me. And that is what I'm inviting you in today, and that's what I want to talk about. And we're in the book of Romans. If you have your Bible, take it right now, turn to chapter 12, whatever device you might have, and let's talk about this amazing chapter that Paul spoke to the church in Rome. Last week, we started in verse 3, and it said this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Paul says, hey, listen up. By the grace that was given to me, I can now speak to all of you because I understand grace. Don't be full of pride. Remember, less of you is way more of him. And he said, be humble enough to sacrifice your rights for the betterment of those around you. You see, all you need is love because the love of Christ lived out in your life is a life full of grace. And if we as a church and as a people would humble ourselves enough to sacrifice our rights for the betterment of others, man, when we would open our campus back up, we couldn't open up enough seats for people because that grace and love is contagious. And you see, living as a Christian, it never starts with a set of rules. It begins with the offering of one's whole self to the one who graciously graciously gave himself over. And that one, Jesus Christ, he met you in your rebellion, he met you in your sin and in your death, and he, if you have made a decision to follow him, has brought you new life. See, that is the greatest picture of love. And so Paul continues on with this grace and this love theme, and in verse 9 he says this, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That word sincere in verse 9 literally means unhypocritical. And Paul was more concerned with the believer's action than the believer's feelings in this passage. You see, in the early church, most of the time, love was connected to action. Love was connected to Jesus' followers sacrificing their rights for the betterment of another. It wasn't about having warm and fuzzy feelings towards someone. It was actually putting love into action for someone. Sometimes, even when you didn't feel great love for that someone. Nicky Gumbel, he is a, a pastor in London. And he wrote about the assassination attempt on Pope John Paul on May 11th in 1981. And he wrote about it and he said, when four bullets were fired, two of them lodged in the Pope's lower intestine, the other two hitting his left hand and his right arm. This attack left the Pope severely wounded and with considerable blood loss. His health was never the same again. And in July of 1981, that shooter was sentenced to life in prison. And at that sentencing, the Pope called on people to pray for his brother, whom he had already forgiven. Two years later, the Pope went into that prison and he took the hand of the man who tried to take his life and he told them that he loved him and he had forgiven him. And it wasn't anything he had done, but it was because of the love God had shown him, even though his killer had not even asked for forgiveness. From that, he developed a friendship over the years that led to him meeting the prisoner's mother and the prisoner's uh, brother and becoming friends with them as well. And then in June 2000, the man was pardoned by the Italian president at the Pope's request. <laughs> when the Pope died on April 2nd, 2005, the family did an interview and said that the entire family was grieving his death as he had become a great friend to them. Pope John Paul's response of love and mercy is exemplary. God's love and God's mercy is even more exemplary. 
Because at the cross of Jesus, your pardon and mine was complete. You see, love and justice mingle, truth and mercy meet, and grace and love abound. That's why Paul says, hey, your love, it must be sincere. You got to hate what is evil, and you got you to cling on with everything that you have to what is good. You know those two go hand in right, hand, right? You hate evil, and you cling to what is good. In our current climate, we have a hard time managing the tension of two things, of being able to hold the balance of what needs to be held in balance rather than having to land solely in one camp or another camp. Now, let me see if I can explain this. Uh, there are many times in my marriage relationship where, where I do some things that doesn't make Madi very happy. I know that's hard for you to believe, but it is very true. She might not like me in the moment, but here's what I know. She loves me in that moment. She might not like me for, for the week, if I'm really honest, because there's some things I've done, it's taken a little while, but she loves me during that week. She seems to manage that tension just fine. I just really believe that's what Paul means when he says love must be sincere. It's got to be real. It has to be more than words that just come out of my mouth. It has to be put into action. And then guess what? It has to be consistent. And he comes and he says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I was reminded of this picture this week. As I remembered Monday, September 1st, was my dad's third anniversary of being in heaven. And his picture of love for me was really so consistent throughout his life and mine. And there were three words that modeled love on this third anniversary for me. One was that word consistent. The second was my dad was kind. And the third was he was godly. See, those just weren't words. Love was seen in my dad. And you can actually see it in his smile, can't you? <laughs> my dad's love was a love that was active. And you, as a church, I just want to let you know, you've been showing the love of Jesus in this season in so many ways. And can I just say thank you? And I just want to share a few random things with you. There's a couple ladies, Tara Luke and Tracy Metz, you know what they did? Um, they mobilized their, their women's life group to engage in monthly, monthly outreaches. They delivered food to families. They served in retirement communities. They even brought basic necessities to the football team at Fullerton College. Or take Drew and Elizabeth Heim. They had a, a, a life group and they began to invite their neighborhood. And whether it was just hanging out in community or, or a watch party, they created this vibrant community life and they invited non-believing families. They talked about the Bible. They enjoyed front yard dinners together. They reached out to love on those who were far from God. Thank you. There were 45 people from our church who went and supported Olive Crest. If you don't know anything about Olive Crest, it is an organization that cares for the most vulnerable children in Orange County. They helped move one of their graduates to a new housing opportunity. They also served in creating an, a renewable farm. It was a three-day project to cover shade, to create shade that covered all of the fruits and vegetable beds, which, listen to this, produces 1,000 pounds of food monthly for homeless and low-income families. How great is that? 
And then our Orange Church just did a drive-through church experience last Sunday, offering balloon animals, family resources, prayer, live music, and even being surprised by a neighborhood family that showed up after expressing no interest when first invited. One of the great things is, and I'm going to have you check out this video clip, was that it was on ABC Channel 7 News that night. Check out this video of our campus in Orange. In Orange, Friends Church Orange tried to lift some spirits while also saying safe or staying safe during the coronavirus pandemic. The church held a free drive-through event to help cheer up the community. There was music, kettle corn, water, balloons, and much more. The group also collected school supplies and food for those in need, all from the safe distance. How great is that? And then lastly, Craig and Aaron Williams. Here's a picture. Of Kate and Lainey, they just adopted these two young daughters into their family after one year of fostering these two beautiful siblings together. Love must be sincere. Church, we can combat hate with love. Paul says, but be really sincere with your love. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And he goes on in verse 10. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Remember what he said to the church in Corinth about love. Love, it it isn't always me first. Love, it, it doesn't fly off the handle. Love, it doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. Love cares more for others than for self. A man by the name of Ed Stetzer wrote a book called Christians in the Age of Outrage. And in his research in partnership with Lifeway, he took a poll of how unchurched people view Christians and Christianity. Two questions from the poll revealed this. 79% felt somewhat strongly or strongly that Christianity today is more about organized religion than loving God and loving people. And listen to this. 44% strongly agree that Christians get on their nerves. 44% say that we get on their nerves. Well, why is that? Well, Stetzer writes this. If the gospel of Jesus is so amazing, and if Christians are called to love and serve, did a majority of Americans complain that the organized church was less interested in love than in rituals, and Christians are annoying, if not unloving? Whatever you might have thought of that poll, we maybe should take a look at ourselves and at least admit that the watching world doesn't sense that we are engaging them with a winsome love, but something else that turns them off to Christ. Could we maybe just at least acknowledge that we might actually have something to do with that? See, Stetzer says this, we disqualify our rights to bring a message of love by being unloving in the very way we live and proclaim the gospel and so deny the compelling power of the good news. We cannot reach people and hate people at the same time. So the gospel in a broken and fallen world will be offensive to many, but we aren't supposed to be. So what do you think is contributing to that? How are we playing a part? And I just want to ask you a few questions as I begin to wrap up. Because I think for all of us, as we talked about last week, considering others more important means we need to just take a look at ourselves. And as we ask some questions, that that word question comes from the root word for quest, 
to ask a good question means that, that someone wants to go on a quest towards truth, and, and that's where I want to get today. And so I would just ask you, we all understand truth sometimes can be a little bit painful, but would you just maybe be honest with yourself? Because I think sometimes in that pain, it can be so helpful. So let me ask you a few questions. And then I want to end by sharing a few thoughts of where we are in this season, its elders and the leaders of this church. So just a few questions for you to ponder. You might want to take something out and write them down. You want to take a snapshot. You can think about it. If you're really brave, you might want to dialogue with a friend or a family member or wife, husband, whatever it might be. But let's just start and take a look at ourselves. If you call yourself a Jesus follower, do you have a love that is contingent? Is it based upon political affiliation, maybe economic affiliation, cultural position, or theological stances? Is your love contingent on anything? Second question. Do you have more of a passion for going to church or actually being the church? What has this season revealed in you? Is it more about going or is it more about being? Here's another one. Is God's grace and love shining through you with people you disagree with? Fourth question. Where and how have you been willing to honor others above yourself? Where and how have you been willing to honor others above yourself? If you haven't, why not? And what keeps you kind of from living this way? And then um, how might our world look different if we actually honored one another above ourselves? How might our church look different if we honored one another above ourselves. So here's one thing that I know for sure. The way we interact with others as believers will dramatically affect whether those far from God will want to know the God we love and serve. So we've just kind of told you what we're going to do throughout this season, from March until right now. And today I just want to share with you, really as I looked at those questions and, and viewed our heart and viewed our church, I wanted to share the why behind the what. Since the beginning of March, we have had varying reactions to how we have handled this pandemic. Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Well, see, that verse has been huge for me, and our, our mission statement has been huge as well, as it has informed and influenced our every decision. Every decision we have made has been looked at through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of our mission. Let me just remind you, we have a mission of becoming a community of authentic Christ followers. We want to reflect Jesus. We want this community to reflect him in everything that we say and everything that we do. And with that, we are compelled then to go and change our world. The world needs to look different because we are different because of Christ's grace and love in our lives. So we come and say, let's look at everything through that lens and then let's look at scripture that says, honor one another above yourselves. So we have sought after the heart of God, but to honor God. We want to serve the world like Jesus would. So we want to honor God. We want to honor people. We want to honor people who follow Jesus and those who are far from Jesus. We want to honor people who are concerned about the virus and seek to be saved. We also want to honor people who are in authority. See, honor, that was at the heart of every decision we made. 
So let me speak to that last one when I talk about authority. I just want to let you know, uh, we're not being persecuted. In fact, in this country, we should probably not use that word. Because in comparison, we don't know what that really means when it comes to our faith. Not many of us have experienced heavy persecution. And no one is persecuting me or the church that is in authority. Whether you like the governor or not, I've not spoken with him. I've not spoken with anyone from the government. And no one has told me to stop proclaiming Jesus or being the church. I love what Andy Stanley said about this subject. He said, as a church, we are not bowing to social or cultural pressure, or are we bowing our knee to Caesar? Scripture says, don't bow your knee to Caesar. Well, we don't have a Caesar. We have a president. And a president is not Caesar. We all know he's going to be in here for four years or eight years, and then he'll be gone and blamed by the next guy or gal for all that they did or did not do. So presidents kind of come and go. And the last Caesar died in the fifth century. And our Constitution says, we the people, not hail to Caesar. And here's what that means. Every one of you should vote. Every one of you should get out and vote and express your desire for the future you want for your country. You should stand for your individual right. And you have the right and the privilege in this country to vote. So do it. But I just need to let you know, corporately, our pressure hasn't come from government. Our pressure hasn't come from outside the church. This pandemic has not singled out the church. We are not being targeted. You might disagree, and that's okay, but we aren't yet. And I think we could make the pandemic the fight, but there are probably some things down the road we might actually have to fight for as the church. And we just don't believe this pandemic is one of them. And to all of you who are in kind of the same situation we are in, to the restaurant owners, to barbershops and salons, to those of you who have lost your job. I am so sorry for that pain. On another note, to the Rams and the Chargers, to USC and UCLA football fan, this all stinks for you. For all of you teachers, I'm just so sorry you have to teach on Zoom. And to all you kids and actually parents, it just stinks for you. And I think we can all agree on that, can't we? So the church, we've just not been singled out in this thing. So, as the church, we've chosen to honor. Because we believe that is our calling and actually our greatest witness. We know there are no neutral topics anymore. And we know everything is politicized, including this pandemic. We all know it. And frankly, we're just all tired of it. And people, I know, they've left our church. Even though they love our church. They've left because they don't love our decisions. I get that. I've been told I'm a coward. I've been told I'm weak. I've been told I need to make a stand. Heck, even my friends I hang out with don't like all the decisions we make. I get it, and for all that, I am sorry. But I am not sorry for how our staff has responded, reacted, and have lived out Scripture in this season. In fact, I couldn't be more proud of them. Couldn't be more proud of them and who they are and what they stand for. You, church, you have an amazing team, and you should be very proud of them. So we have made our decisions based on Scripture, based on honor, based on mission. And that just isn't going to change. As long as I'm here, as long as I'm in this seat and the elders allow me to lead, 
we will follow scripture and the heartbeat of how we interpret God's word. So we're going to continue to do that as we move forward. In fact, at our campus in Yorba Linda, we're getting ready to open up a tent because we believe that's the right thing to do. We are ready to move on, but we are going to do it in a way that honors just as scripture calls us to. I know this, one day I'm going to have to answer to God for these actions, my actions, during a pandemic. And I just don't take that lightly. But we want the world to know the Jesus we love and serve. And we just believe it all begins and ends and lives with this thing called love. See, the church always looks more Christ-like when we are defending other people's rights more than our own. When we are giving things away rather than demanding our own way. And that is why today I ask you to make this decision with me. Because I've just decided to be generous with the grace and love God has so generously given to me. So, how are you choosing to love your neighbor? How are you choosing to sacrifice for others? How are you honoring others above yourself. See, that is what we will stand for. That is our faith. And we're just going to continue to march through this season with caution and care and honor for others over ourselves. Christianity, listen up, Christianity shaped Western civilization. No party did that. Christianity did. And I just think if we live out scripture, We have a chance to shape our culture and our community once again. But you must decide. You must decide to live a life of grace and love for those who need to see and experience the grace and love of Jesus. And so when the Beatles said, all you need is love, well, if it's that kind of love, if it's a Jesus love, it's a self-sacrificing love, if it's a love that never gives up and never gives over and never gives in and seeks the best in others, if it is a love that honors God and honors people, no matter their race, no matter where they're from, if it is a love that will put Jesus at the center of everything that we say and do, then I agree all we need is love. And church, I just ask you, if you love your church, And if you love your Savior, will you just begin to pray? Because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to believe the best in you. And I ask, church, that you would just believe the best in us. All you need is love. First and foremost, all you need is Jesus. And then let his love live through you. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you. Thank you for this incredible church called Friends. Thank you for 106 years. And and God, we're here and we're not done. We're just beginning. I thank you for this season. God, maybe if we're honest, and I pray today that the Holy Spirit, you would just speak to each of us. Some of us, if we're honest, even in this message, we got really defensive. Yeah, but, and you don't understand, and maybe I don't. But God, can we just all take a a step back and and breathe deeply and ask you, what is it that you require of me? How are you calling me, God, to live in this season? 
then how are you calling every one of us to reflect you? God, may we surrender our lives to you. May we be people that understand you are the center of everything. May your love flow freely. And God, I I hope that pole turns. I hope that people begin to see the church and Christians in a different light. But Father, I think the turn has to happen in our hearts first. And I pray that the love and grace flows from this place called Friends in the season that is ahead more than it ever has before. So God, we come before you. We, before you, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We honor him. We look at every decision we make through the lens of scripture. And I pray, God, as we interpret that scripture, that you would be honored, your spirit would guide, and that we would reflect you and your great love for this world. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ I pray all these things. Amen.